Chapter Twenty Six of In the Pecos Country by Edward Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Six A Welcome Visitor. Lonely as Fred Munson felt in that dismal cavern, he preferred the solitude to the companionship of an Apache Indian, and fearful of discovery, he crouched down to wait until he should move away. His involuntary visitor dropped within a few feet of where he was hiding, and Fred tried to hold his breath for fear he might be detected, but the fellow quietly rose and gave expression to his sentiments. "'Begorra, if I haven't fell through into the cellar as me grandmother did when she danced down the whole party and landed on the bottom and kept up the jig without a break, keeping time with the one-eyed fiddler above.' Fred could scarcely believe the evidence of his own senses. That was the voice of his old friend Mickey O'Rooney, or else he was more mistaken than he had ever been in his life. But whatever doubts might have lingered with him were removed by the words that immediately followed. "'It beats the blazes where that young spalpeen can be capin' himself. Me and Mr. Simpson have been on the hunt for two days and more.' and now when i got on his trail and found where he'd crawled into the bushes and i tried to do the same i crawled into the biggest cellar in the whole world and i can't find the stairs to walk out again hello mickey is that you my old friend called out the overjoyed lad springing forward throwing his arms about him and breaking in most effectually upon his meditations the irishman was mystified for a moment but he recognized the voice, reached down, and placed his arms in turn about the lad. "'Begorra, if this ain't the greatest surprise of me life, as Mr. O'Spangargamoch remarked when I called and paid him a little balance that I owed him. I've had a hard hunt for you, and had about give you up when I came down on you in this style. Freddy, my boy, I crave the privilege of axing you a question.' "'Ask me a thousand if you want,' replied the boy, dancing about with delight. "'Are you sure that it's yourself and nobody else? "'I don't want to make a mistake that'll cause me mortification, "'and you must answer carefully.' "'I'm sure it is I, Fred Munson.' "'Whoop! Hurrah!' shouted Mickey, leaping several feet in the air, "'and as he came down, striking at once into the temporary jig. "'The overjoyed fellow kept it up for several minutes, "'making the cold, moist sand fly in every direction.' He terminated the performance by a higher leap than ever and a regular Comanche war-hoop. Having vented his overflowing spirits in this fashion, the Irishman was ready to come down to something like more sober common sense. Reaching out, he took the hand of Fred, saying as he did so, "'Let me keep hold of your flipper so that I can prevent your drifting away. Now tell me, my laddie, how did you get here? I came down the same way that you did, through the skylight up there.' "'It's a handy way of going down, steers, the only trouble being that it's sometimes inconvenient to stop so sudden-like. Didn't you observe the opening till you stepped into it? I didn't see it then. I was near it, asleep, and when I woke up in the night I crawled in under the bushes to shelter myself. When I went through into the cave, how was it you followed?' "'I was searching for you, as I've been doing for the last two days and more.' I observed the hole, for I had the daylight to help me, and I crawled up to take a pape down to see who lived there, when I must have gone too far, as me uncle observed, after he'd been hung in a joke, and the ground crumbled beneath me, and I slid in. But let me ask you again, 
Are you much acquainted in these parts? You know I'm a stranger. I was never here before. I've looked around all I can, but haven't been able to find how big the cave is. There's a small waterfall, and the stream comes in and goes out somewhere, and there is one rent, at least, so deep that I don't believe it has any bottom. I've learned that much, and that's all. That's considerable for a laddie like you. Are you hungry? You better believe I am. Why had I better believe it? asked Mickey, with an assumption of gravity that it was impossible for him to feel. If you give me your word of honour, I'll believe you, because I've been hungry myself and know how it goes. I'll have some lunch with me, and if you don't fail above eating with common folks, we'll soup together. I am so glad, responded Fred, who was indeed in need of something substantial. I feel weak and hollow. You shall have your fill. Take the word of an Irishman for that. Would you like to smoke? You know I never smoke, Mickey. Didn't ask you that question. But if you doesn't feel inclined to do the same, I'll indulge myself a little. The speaker had been preparing his pipe and tobacco while they were talking, and as he uttered the last words he twitched a match against the bowl and immediately began drawing at it. As the volumes of smoke issuing from his mouth showed that the flame had done its duty, he held the match aloft and looked down in the smiling upturned face of the lad, scrutinizing the handsome countenance as long as the tiny bit of pine held out. "'Yes, it's your own lovely self,' as Barney MacDugan's wife observed when he came home drunk with one eye punched out and his head cracked. "'Do you know that while I was surveying your sweet face I saw something behind you?' "'No. What was it?' demanded Fred, with a start and shudder, looking back in the darkness. "'Oh, it was nothing that'll harm you. I think there be some bits of wood there that can be availed of in the way of kindling a fire, and that's what I misses more than anything else, as me mother used to say when she couldn't find the whisky bottle. Bestir yourself, me laddie, and assist me in getting together some scraps.' The Irishman was not mistaken in his supposition. Groping around, they found quite a quantity of sticks and bits of wood. All of these were dry and the best kind of kindling stuff that could be obtained. Mickey was never without his knife, and he whittled several of these until sure they would take the flame from a match when he made the essay. The fire caught readily, and carefully nursed it spread until it roared and crackled like an old-fashioned campfire. As it rose higher and higher, and the heavy gloom was penetrated and lit up by the vivifying rays, Mickey and Fred used their eyes to the best of their ability. The cave seemed to stretch away into fathomless darkness in every direction excepting one which was toward the waterfall or cascade. This appeared to be at one side instead of running through the center. The dark walls could be seen on the other side of the stream, and the gleam and glitter of the water for some distance both above and below the plunge. "'Do you observe anything new?' asked Mickey. "'Nothing more than what I told you,' replied Fred, supposing he referred to the extent of the cavern. "'I have learned something,' said the man significantly. "'What's that?' "'Somebody's been here ahead of us.' "'How do you know that?' "'I've got the proof.' Will you note that right there before your eyes? As he spoke, he pointed to the kindling wood or fuel of which they had collected considerable while there was plenty more visible around them. Fred was not sure that he understood him, so he still looked questioningly toward him. 
Wood doesn't grow in such places as this no more than you can find pratties sprouting out of the side of a tea-kettle, but then it might have been pitched down the hole above or got drifted into it without anybody helping if it wasn't for the fact that there's been a campfire here before. How do you make that out, Mickey? The Irishman stooped down and picked up one of the pieces of wood which was waiting to be thrown upon the campfire. Holding it out, he showed that the end was charred. That isn't the only stick that's built after the same style, showing that this isn't the first campfire that was got up in these parts. There's been gentlemen here before to-day, and they must have had some way of coming and going that we haven't discovered as yet. There seemed nothing unlikely in this supposition of Mickey's, who picked up his rifle from where he had left it lying on the ground and stared inquiringly around in the gloom. I wonder whether there be any wild animals prowling around. I don't think that could be, for there couldn't many of them fall through that hole that let us in, and if they did they would soon die. That minds me that you hinted something about feeling the cravings of hunger, and I signified to you that I had something for you about my clothes, and so I have, if it isn't lost. As he spoke, he drew from beneath his waistcoat a package, carefully wrapped about with an ordinary newspaper. Gently drawing the covering aside, he displayed a half-dozen pieces of deer-meat, cooked to a turn. "'Will you take some?' he asked, handing one to Fred, who could scarcely conceal his craving eagerness as he began masticating it. "'How comes it that you have that by you?' "'I generally goes prepared for the most desperate emergencies, as me mither used to remark when she stowed the whiskey-bottle away with the lunch she was taking with her.' It was about the middle of yesterday afternoon that I fetched down a deer that was browsing on the bank of a small stream that I reached, and, as a matter of course, I made my dinner on him. I tried to lay up enough stock to last me for a week, that is, under my waistband, but I hadn't the room, so I sliced up several pieces, rather overcooked them so as to make them handy to carry, and then wrapped him up in the paper. It's a common-sense arrangement, added Mickey. I had the time and the chance to do it, and it was likely to happen that, when I wanted the next meal, I wouldn't have the same opportunity remembering which I did as I said, and the result is, I've brought your dinner to you. End of chapter 26 Read by Thomas Rose